Welcome to episode 152 of the Crowdfunding Nerds. On this episode, we cover email pitching, how to reach out to influential people that can help you with your crowdfunding journey, conversion rates and benchmarks of crowdfunding campaigns, lessons learned from over three years of crowdfunding, dealing with Kickstarter criticism, and finally, we do a review of Kickstarter page analysis and how to optimize your page for launch. Hope you find the info here helpful. Let's do this. Game begin. Let's go. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, Facebook ad, Facebook ad, Facebook ad. That's awesome. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I'm your host, Andrew Lone, and I'm joined by Sean today with uh, a recap of our episodes six through 10. Um, but it's not like a normal recap where it's boring and you shouldn't listen. It's actually going to be super duper useful because we're looking at episodes that we recorded three years ago and taking the number one takeaway so you don't have to listen to that podcast again and modernizing it. Like, is does that information hold up to today? Um, so I don't know. Anything you want to say before we dive in, Sean? Yeah, well, we'll probably also just highlight maybe key takeaways that we can remember from when we recorded them because it wasn't all that long ago. And then people can go back and then find those yeah. particular nuggets that are in those episodes. That's true. Yeah. So I, I think that these, these things are especially helpful for me. Uh, you know, r- around once a month, we do a little recap and it feels it's really useful for me to go back, you know, personally and look at the old content because there are so many things that we had experienced at that time um, that I forget about. And, um, and so I hope it's useful for you as well. And so uh, let's dive in. Okay. Well, we start at episode number six. Marketing with Gabe Barrett of the board game design lab. There it is. What do you remember anything from this, Andrew? Well, when, when, so when I invited Gabe, um, one of the things that I do most often is whenever anybody has a question about, you know, it's my first project and, you know, how do I do organic marketing and, and that kind of thing. I always refer them back to an episode that I did with Gabe Barrett um, of the Board Game Design Lab right around uh, Christmas of 2020. Because in that episode, I myself was going through this organic marketing stage of deliverance. And, you know, we launched about six or seven months later on Kickstarter to had a lot of success with this. But while I was going through, I shared what I was actively doing at that time. And we can include the episode of the board game design live in the show notes that I'm talking about. But um, the, uh, the advice that I gave was, as I said, what I was doing and it ended up working very, very well. Like we raised well over $60,000 from the things that I did. And, uh, you know, including about 2000 people on our email list. And so I wanted to invite Gabe to, into our podcast um, to hopefully get some of those nuggets of wisdom from Gabe's side. And, you know, he, it just is a wealth of knowledge. So um, there were, you know, like we asked questions like, what would you do if you started from the beginning again? And um, that sort of thing. But we kind of got into some advice on pitching, which I found to be super duper interesting. Um, yes, yeah, so at the five minute mark, five actually is actually five fifty. So for those, all all our episodes have timestamps. So if you go to the 
our website, craftingnerds.com, find the episode just by typing episode and then the number of the episode, the numeric number, you'll find the show notes. And you'll see that at five five minutes and 50 seconds, we talk about email cold calling. And I believe it was in the context of his his very first episode of his podcast when he's you know new to the industry, has, has no experience or, or terms that he can leverage for getting people onto his podcast. But he just reached out to Jamie Stegmeier and he agreed to join him on his podcast. So, so we broke down the nuts and bolts of his cold calling email and uh, how it was effective and how he was able to maybe get Jamie's attention and to, which is, it's something that you can contextualize to all of your email outreach, whether you're reaching out to a supplier, whether you're reaching out to, to fans, whether you're reaching out to join podcasts. In fact, we even broke down this information in an article. Um, you can find it on the Crowdfunding Nerds website. Um, it's an email cold calling article. So we do condense it in, in an article form and we'll include it in the show notes, show notes and we will include it in the show notes of this episode so that you can check it out and go through it step by step of the things to do. And we actually add a little bit more details in that article as far as I believe. But I think that is a key takeaway from this episode. It's going to be very important for you to be able to leverage the right things when reaching out to people. Because I think there's a lot of mistakes. I, I, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I, yeah. I seem to get emails every day from random people requesting yeah. something and i always feel like these emails are terrible <laughs> and then and then you, you yeah. know that they've got some automated system because they you know you open the email so like two days later they email you again <laughs> that point i just always yeah. block them like this <laughs> yeah i always mark those things as spam i think that my biggest personal takeaway and i'm actually doing this today where you know now that you know my game is out there on the market um i'm soliciting reviewers to see if they want to take the game reviewers are soliciting me to see if I'm uh, would be interested in sending them a copy for review and that sort of thing. Um, so for me, there are certain reviewers that I think would do a really good job, would really like the game. And I want, I want 100% of those people to respond and review. So um, it's not like there are massive amounts of influential reviewers. So um, what I choose to do is, make a very, very personal email to that one person. If I, you know, they're like, for example, uh, rolling solo with Adam Smith, I really want Adam Smith to cover the game. And so I uh, write an email to, to him. Um, if he, At first, I actually didn't know his name. I only knew rolling solo. And I had to watch a couple of videos to figure out what his name was. Um, you know, I had to figure out what types of games does he like? What types of mechanics does he like? And, and that kind of thing. And I figured out, okay, if, um, you know, if I pitch Adam Smith, like, like with, with some knowledge of what he likes, he's going to be much more likely to review. And if he doesn't respond to me, then I, you know, I can pitch again, but, um, you know, maybe in a different format, you know, instead of email, I'll find him on Facebook or instead of on Facebook, I'll, hit them up in, um, in some other way, like on discord. And so that's, um, I find that that is like making it very personalized is the way to go. That is the way that people will respond. And it is extremely, extremely valuable, um, to do that. I, in my opinion, um, we've also landed some pretty big, I mean, we got to interview Jamie Stegmeier as well on our podcast and whatnot, but, um, I, I'm, I'm super stoked that, uh, you know, with how well this is working for me personally, just in the back end, you know, and it boils down to personalizing your, your outreach. Yeah. And not being lazy with a copy paste. 
Right. You know, yeah. You forget to update the name of the person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you have like millions of influencers out there, then you can just, you know, I don't know, copy paste and get like 1% response and, you know, have plenty of people, but that's not really how most industries are with, with influencers. You've got meaningful influencers and you don't want to, you know, come across as a fool and get marked as spam because you just copy pasted something. Um, yeah, I mean, you get marked as spam. Yeah. Yes. An intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I pity the fool that gets marked as spam. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. So, um, episode number seven, we jump into yes. episode number seven. Let's do yeah. it. Okay. So it is, how do you know if your Facebook ads are worth it in the context of game found Kickstarter marketing? Very important question to ask because, well, it's actually a bit easier now because you have the pixel, right? With, um, it's still not 100%, but you do have a better sort of sense if your ads are working. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we, I think Joe Slack in our community recently asked this question, how do you know if your referral codes for your live Kickstarter campaign, how do you know that these things are actually working because they don't seem to pick up too often? And one thing I would always recommend is look at the referral codes, look at your, your pixel, but also keep a track of the total number of backers you're getting and also the average cost per pledge. So if you just, even if it's not 100% accurate, if you look, if you just divide your ad spend into the total number number of backers for that day, and you do that every day, you'll, ha- you'll start to see a pattern of the average pledges you're getting per day and the average cost per day. That way, if you make a change with your Facebook ads and you're seeing significant differences, you can have a pretty good idea that it's working. But we, we actually didn't cover any of that, I think, in this actual episode. In this episode, we talk more about the post campaign. So I don't know if you want to jump into that, Andrew. Yeah, you know, I, I actually think that the discussion about how do you know if your Facebook ads are effective, the thing that at the time, you know, this is episode seven, we, we discussed benchmarks of effective leads. So this was kind of a little bit of a pre-marketing and post-marketing analysis, um, but at uh, show note 1545, 15 minutes and 45 seconds into that podcast, we talked about our benchmarks of effective leads. And those are actually the, the number one thing that jumps out to me that hold up to today. Um, you know, we talk about you you need to get an email lead for $2.50 or less. Um, actually, I think it might be $3 or less, but our goal is $2.50 or less now. Um, you need to get clicks. Uh, your goal is $0.20 cents, um, or less. And you need to convert at 10% of the people that go to your landing page. You need to sign up for your email list or better and other things like that. Those numbers will help you kind of start to sort the, all the data that you get from Facebook and Facebook Pixel into actionable information. It's like, all right, my landing page only has a 7% conversion rate. That's a huge problem. And we need to figure out how to um, better that. But you know that it's not it's at least most likely not your Facebook ad targeting. That's an issue with the landing page. So part of the, you know, how do you know if your Facebook ads are working? The other kind of the other side of the coin is diagnosing, well, when they're not working, how do you fix them? And so I think that that's where this episode really starts to become relevant uh, to folks. And um, yeah, you know, kind of in regard to what you said about um, tracking I do think there is there is this, especially on Kickstarter, because even with the with the pixel, you still don't get full information like you do on GameFound. Um, I do think that there's a lot that gets lost in uh, Kickstarter 
and their their tracking metrics and whatnot. Um, but there there was in that post a good counterpoint made by Brenna Noonan um, of I think Quillsilver Marketing or whatever. They they do they're kind of like a full service marketing company that but they they do like a um, graphic design and miniature sourcing and stuff like that for for a few projects at a time. But um, she said that hey, if your cost per click is too low, then that's kind of suspect. Maybe none of those clicks are actually converting into real customers, and that's possible too. Um, which is something we did not cover in that episode. If you're getting, uh, I remember, you know, it, I mean, if you want cost per click at a penny, then uh, market to India. <laughs> it's like know. you've got a, you're going to get a lot of clicks, and because very few ads are show to. Uh, to that country, um, but lots of people use Facebook in India, and um, it's very unlikely to convert into sales. But you'll get a lot of clicks. So, um, you know, th- I think that in this particular case, the EU can be guilty of that. Where uh, the European Union, you've got a lot of people that will. Well, people are more likely to click. It's going to cost you less money in the EU than in the US for ads, but you're more likely to get people to convert in the U S. So, mm-hmm. um, I think yeah, that those are some of the things. That and, and how you compare that is look at the CPM because mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, Oh, these ads are crushing it in Europe. Yay. But if you actually work out the CPM, they're actually performing the same. They're just mm-hmm. far cheaper to actually show people there. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. So, um, another thing, this. yeah, another thing, oh, we go didn't ahead, cover, go ahead. another thing we didn't cover with this episode is the, the ratio of, pre-campaign followers to backers. And we recently worked this out with all our clients. And as, as far as I remember, it's, it's either 20, 21 or 22%. It's basically 20% of people on average convert. Now we'll say that is at by the end of the campaign because you might have about 15% conversion of those pre-campaign followers, but then people continue to follow the campaign during the actual live campaign. And then they right. all get these like last 48 hour notifications. And so mm-hmm. you get more conversions at the very end. But at the end of the campaign, about you know, 20, 22% of your, your followers do actually convert. So that's something to also keep in mind, which I don't think we, we kind of, uh, yeah, covered in this because yeah. have that data at the time. Yeah. And, um, through, you know, after, I mean, now it's been over 150 episodes and over 150 campaigns that we've actually run. Uh, we actively work with probably about 40 different clients at a time now. Um, and you know, and that's just on the crowdfunding side. And, um, I, have seen a lot of conversion, you know, I mean, follower conversion rates now on GameFound and on Kickstarter. And I find that a conversion rate that like on the first day of above 20% is, is good. That means that you're doing everything right and that you're getting a proper conversion rate. Um, if, uh, if it's higher than that, then it's, I mean, you know, if you have very few followers, let's just say you have a few hundred followers, it could be higher than that because you might have a a small group of very hardcore fans. Uh, But if you have followers in the thousands, then I think 20% is a very healthy number. Um, Higher than that, the highest that I've seen that is typical would be like 24% of followers on the first day. And that's going to be kind of a I'll say an amalgamation of people that got your email blast, people that were in your Facebook group, people in your Discord community, and all of the other places. In addition to, of course, following your campaign, um, you've got people that will 
that followed your campaign because you did a good job sending an email out, letting people know, here's my pre-launch page. And they followed that. So maybe they backed your campaign because you sent them the email, but it's still going to show that the, a follower converted. And, um, you know, so that kind of your email list, you'll have a certain percentage convert and whatever, but it's all kind of, to me, um, that Kickstarter follower conversion rate, that's like the blended average of all of your other communities and outreaches and efforts and whatnot. And that should be between, you know, over 20%, I think for, a, um, which means that you did an effective job, um, marketing, you had a good offer and, and all of that. So it's for me, one of the primary benchmarks on day one of a healthy launch. If you have lower than that, then it's likely that there's something that's holding people back or maybe your email didn't go through like you had hoped, or, um, maybe you didn't send, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's possible that people miss sending like a Facebook group notification or all of the things at once. I mean, we've had people launch and it's six hours into launch and we're like, Hey, just send your email out, you know, to let everybody know. And they're like, no, not yet. It's like, what are you doing? You know, got to send that out like in moment one of launch, like second one after you launch, you send the email. So, um, so I think that that's, uh, that's some of my initial thoughts. And then you're right. It does the follower count should uh well it, it definitely increases after you launch because more people discover the project and they want to look you know check back on it later so your conversion rate goes down like after the first day like day two day three it goes to like 15 percent for i think deliverance was 16 percent um hovering around 16 or 17 percent throughout the campaign and then um during that concluding 48 hours they get a notification at 48 a notification at 24 and a notification at eight i believe eight hours and those three notifications are oftentimes the root cause of you know a lot of uh camp campaign activity at the very end of a campaign it's like this is your last chance and you know if you make a compelling case for you know backers jumping on board it, it's a it can be a really great time for you in your campaign and we've seen conversion rates um hovering between you know 25 to 40 percent um at that time Anything less than 25 for me, maybe you didn't make as compelling of a case for why they should back. Um, and sometimes, you know, with larger companies that have distribution deals that will be at retail, it's, it's a little harder to make a compelling case. But for first time creators, it's very easy because, you know, it should be at least because you have hopefully knocked down a bunch of stretch goals and you can actually say this product will it, there's no guarantee it'll be a retail. So now's your chance, you know? Um, so yeah. Also anyway. focusing on any kind of Kickstarter exclusive game components, I think is yeah. key as well. Usually there's some type of upgradable token or box or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do think, I mean, I am a fan of Kickstarter exclusive stuff in certain ways. I am not a fan of early bird specials that give, you know, for the first 48 hours, a cheaper price or something like that. Um, but I am a fan of things like, you know, everybody gets this exclusive first player metal token free. If you back the Kickstarter, stuff like that is, um, is, is good. Yeah. Value add. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, Oh, go ahead. Do you have any last thoughts? <laughs> you made my mind. No, no, I was going to just move on to the next episode. Oh, let me introduce this one. Okay. Sean's lessons learned from three months in crowdfunding episode eight. Wow, it's been now what? Just long, over three years? Long time ago. Oh, Galaxy Far wow, Far Away. You're so young. 
that's when we still called you the cringy, uh, sexy Irish, Sean. <laughs> you still are, by the way, you still are sexy oh, and you. Irish <laughs> and Sean. Uh, but yeah, so let's, let's talk about this. What are, how about your lessons learned from your most valuable lessons learned from three years in crowdfunding? Oh gosh. Yeah. That <laughs> could be an episode in and of itself. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll do it next week. <laughs> yeah, we could do next week. Yeah. Oh, I know putting me on the spot three years. There's a lot of, lot of stuff to go through. I know we've, mm. we've learned so much. I think the importance of, of, of analysis of data is, is really key to crowdfunding because there's so much data with digital marketing and audience surveys and podcasts and people sharing information everywhere it can almost be information overload. So having a resource like the crowdfunding those podcasts and hopefully can be helpful for people condensing some of this into something useful. So I think yeah, certainly data analysis is something that you have to kind of, I've, I've learned you have to like spreadsheets, <laughs> I've become far more com- <laughs> competent with spreadsheets uh, in the past three years than I ever have been. And it really is a, a skill worth learning because when you're dealing with so many numbers and so many variables, it's, it's really important that you have some type of competency with, with spreadsheets. And if you don't like spreadsheets, then you need to employ people like us who are willing to crunch numbers and uh, be honest with you and, and show you, hey, this is how things are looking. Yeah, it's um, something that I, I find very, uh, I'm, I'm not naturally... I don't naturally enjoy spreadsheets. I like talking to people and um, I like the customer focused side of the business, you know, like in, even in, you know, my fulfillment, if somebody has a problem, like there was this guy, his name is Sean, uh, different Sean in the U S not nearly as sexy, not Irish, um, <laughs> you know, and he had, a, we shipped him a t-shirt that was uh, this, uh, a wrong size. And it was supposed to be like a, uh, so I guess he was in a three X, he has lost some weight and he's in a two X now. And so he, he switched his order and it didn't get, it didn't get switched in time. So we sent him, a, uh, instructed them to send a two X. They send out two XLs. <laughs> like, dude, like you got two shirts that are both small. Like you cut them each in half and then weave them together and there's your shirt. Um, now, so that didn't work. And so it's, a. Uh, for me, I felt like it was important to actually give him a phone call and say, Hey, sorry about this and whatnot. And I, you know, I just enjoy that type of uh, interaction. So it's not natural to me to look at spreadsheets. It's been, you know, ever since I started this business 15 years ago, it's like, I, um, well, I guess, yeah, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. It's, uh, it's been something that has been a, uh, something I've had to kind of suffer through in a lot of ways. And some of my, my hires have been specifically focused on people that like spreadsheets because I don't, (laughs) Um, but yeah, the, the data that you can gather, the meaningful data, you know, it's, it's really helpful. Uh, But customer surveys, I think for me is my biggest takeaway because customer, like actually polling your backers, talking to your backers, that to me is the number one thing. Whenever someone has a problem, the, you know, if you, if you launch and you didn't fund as you, as much as you had hoped, or if you, um, are having trouble getting people to back a certain pledge level, or people are saying, oh, there's not that much value in this pledge level, like happened, it happened with me in deliverance. I, um, you know, you, you can actually talk to your people and they can give you the best ideas. Um, and also you can, you know, when you have your ear to the ground listening to your fan base, you can, you can actually discover what the problems are. 
and fix them. So um, for me, you know, as a game designer, whenever I'm, you know, like with Deliverance or with other projects that I work on, you you want to listen to the play testers to hear what problems they see. They're going to tell you all the solutions, but um, it's mainly about, for me, about the problems. I need to identify what did they see as a problem? You know, I remember um, way back in the day uh, when Deliverance was still cardboard and War of the Ring miniatures that I had stolen from the War of the Ring box. Um, somebody was using a character who's in the game today. Her name is Shula. She's this like kind of light angel, keeper of the light. And he hit something for two damage. And he was like, well, that sucks. You know, it's like something he just felt weak. And I was like, why is that? You know, and he said, you need to turn that up. You need to turn that damage to like four and whatever. And he gave me all of his uh, reasons. And he wasn't that enthused, you know, after his play of my cardboard prototype. And um, that I made with markers and, you know, components off Amazon. And um, today, that character and that same attack actually deals one damage. Um, less it deals it deals less damage, but it has a chance to deal two if you're in kind of the right conditions. But uh, the character feels much much stronger. And the the what I identified at the time was that the character overall doesn't have like a power spike that you can feel proud of. So when you're dealing two damage and then you hit him with your big hit and it deals three, it just doesn't feel good. So um, I actually nerfed the character's you know. Uh, we'll say courage builder, the energy resource builder uh, with to deal one. And then her main kind of power attack deals four. And that made, that made all the difference in the world. But the, um, the guy didn't, he, he knew how to kind of diagnose and tell me there was a problem, but the solutions that he proposed wouldn't have really made the game better. And so in the same way, um, you know, your, your goal is to diagnose problems from your backers through polling and other types of information that you gain from them, uh, but not necessarily to apply the solutions that they suggest to you. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, you know, my main takeaway. And, and what I find is extremely lacking in, you know, among most publishers, they, uh, you know, the best publishers talk to their fans, the best publishers know their fans and treat them carefully and special and, and whatnot. And um, I think that it's just really easy not to do that. It, there's so much to do. There's so many, you know, kind of people pulling you at every, in every direction that, you know, your fans can sometimes be left holding an empty bag or just not getting enough attention, I guess is the roundabout way. And um, they have some of the most valuable input that you could, that you could, you could glean. I do think you so. need to consider incorporating a mechanic in which someone pulls out a hammer and smashes a, a demon miniature. Uh, that'll be a, a <laughs> sure. I mean, that was moving, that was a fun yeah that was a fun video <laughs> moving on like to, your life. <laughs> moving on episode number nine kickstarter mental health what you need to know how to prepare this is interesting because it doesn't i, I still remember this episode because this was off the back of a i think a, a facebook post that you saw someone was like just really depressed or kind of downcast after a very successful kickstarter kickstarter launch or it seemed to be quite successful. So yeah, I think this one was a bit more philosophical and sort of like, you know, don't be too down on yourself if things don't happen the way that you, you want. I know 
maybe Andrew, you can elaborate, but that's what I can remember from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the, um, for me, I recall discussing toxic backers, toxic Kickstarter comments, you know, where people pledge a dollar and they say your project sucks and, um, you know, it, it, it happens. And I, as, uh, you know, I remember I was talking with, uh, Travis chance. He at the time was the, one of the guys behind colossal games and they had done a bunch of Kickstarters. They had like over 20 Kickstarters that they had done. And he, he is just a wealth of knowledge and information. I remember meeting with him at dice tower West, like the first dice tower West. And he said, you know, this game seems really, really interesting, you know, talking about deliverance at the time, but I would never touch it with the 10 foot pole. The comments are going to be a cesspool of the worst human beings that, that you can imagine. And they're just going to, um, and I actually took that to heart and thought, you know, he's not wrong that it, you know, this game with a religious theme. And at the time there were very few games that had any kind of religious theme. In fact, uh, we've only very recently seen, um, more companies kind of expand into that, into that genre, um, you know, with, with success. So, um, the, I was very concerned about that. And so I did, uh, I worked really hard to train my, my, um, crew, you know, my insider crew, I call them the, um, email back or, you know, the email list and my communities and all my backers and whatnot that I would have. I, I worked really hard to train them like how to treat others. Cause I didn't want the campaign. I wanted, if somebody said, Oh, keep your religion out of our hobby. Um, I didn't want backers to start flaming those people because, you know, I wanted them to turn the other cheek, you know, I wanted them to find what, you know, maybe what, uh, the kernel of truth or the kernel of like solid argument that was in the troll comment and address only that. And so I, I really tried to kind of train my, my audience and prep my audience for what could be. And it actually ended up being great. Everyone was really cool for the most part. My mom got trolled. I had a couple of, uh, of trolls that were, you know, um, one guy came out and was like, I'm a Judas, you know, and was trolling us that way. But, you know, for the most part, it was generally quite healthy. Um, but it did weigh on me. Um, and this actually, the, my, you know, where, how this relates to me today is, you know, now that we've released the game and we're dealing with comments, um, in, on our Facebook ads, people that are now seeing it for the very first time, um, have a very colorful range of responses <laughs> from, I need to buy this right now to, to things that are, uh, shady unscrupulous and um quite mean decent yes 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 so uh and you know the banjo jokes are something that i'm used to because deliverance is a an old boomer movie that um you know that that uh that exists so because that exists and has the same name yeah well i can't i'm not allowed to have any fun um so i just i you know so i'm really used to the banjo memes but there are people that are very um like they're just ready to soapbox and that kind of thing and it's it can be really demoralizing because I'm not allowed to like troll them back or anything. I'm, I'm running a business here, you know, and, um, it's really helped me a lot dealing with the trolls on Kickstarter and now coming to Facebook and trying to sell stuff, no matter what you're selling, people are going to, are going to talk poorly. Um, just dive into the people that are encouraging and pay attention to them, focus on them. Um, you might not need to neglect entirely the people that are trolling you. You may, in fact, I've actually turned some of those people around people that are saying, that say like, you know, Oh, is this, 
like D and D for people that can't handle it. Um, and so they need Christian stuff or whatever. And I actually am able to engage people like that in a conversation and say, no, actually the D and D is awesome. And deliverance is different. Here's how it's similar. Here's how it's different. And they, I've had people buy the game after a, a conversation, even like one paragraph of conversation for me, they they're like, Oh, that's interesting. And they buy the game. And it's like, wow, that was, that was a, a quick 180. Um, and then there are other people that are, you know, on the other side of the coin that are mad because it's, Oh, there are demons in this game. And you know, they're, they're like, I would never bring this game into my home as like a Christian. And um, I am able to share with them reviews from like pluggedin.com, which examine like kind of the, the Christian aspects of the game. And, and I'm able to kind of um, bring them from the far left and the far right in, in on a spectrum more toward the middle and say, yeah, it, maybe at the end they decide the game's still not for them, but at least all of the other people that read um, are swayed positively. And so um, that's definitely the, the way that this has, th- these lessons have impacted me today. Um, I, so. I certainly think you should put a banjo into the game as heavenly treasure, just to, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> just, you're right. just to answer these people. Like, yeah, no, we did it. Here we go. Um, I could do that. That'd make okay. a good, good expansion. So when people ask, when people, bring up, when people bring up the banjo meme, you just say, yep, it's in the game. Here it is. <laughs> I'm just going to call it the boomer banjo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe it has like a boom effect. So it's like it knocks things yeah. backwards. <laughs> yeah yeah okay the boomer banjo, <laughs> boomer banjo. <laughs> treasure. Uh, yeah. good idea oh man i can't wait to do that all right it's it shall be done okay episode number 10 what matters most to backers on your kickstarter page with Jer- jeremy howard i always send clients back to this episode this is one that i we have we kind of incorporated into our mm-hmm. onboarding of new clients we kind of send them a list of like here start here this is always one I send because the insights here are just so valuable. Jeremy really does a great job of breaking down pretty honestly what he, he does with Kickstarter pages. And I think yeah. what maybe the key takeaway from this is that he doesn't even look at the video. He just swipes past the video. But <laughs> I, I wasn't really aware that people did that, but apparently they do. Like a lot of people don't even look at the video. They just swipe past it. So something to keep in mind, but this is a very insightful episode when it comes to crafting your Kickstarter page and thinking about the offer. And essentially, it's it's all about the first three or two squi- uh, swipes on a mobile phone. So you have to optimize it for mobile, mm-hmm. and you have to really pay attention to the first couple of swipes and really make sure that it's clear and that it's, it is enticing for people. Mm-hmm. We discussed this a little bit um, very recently uh, uh, with the one-scroll test, which I have kind of coined based off of, um, well, r- originally, kind of this, this, this is where the roots of that came from. So, uh, the, the, uh, so Jeremy Howard came on, we discussed what, you know, what types of things are you looking for on a Kickstarter page? And we went through, um, I think this was the first time we used our hygiene factors, you know, or maybe I, I don't know if I had coined that term before. I mean, I originally heard that in college, but I, I think we applied this to, um, the Kickstarter page for the first time. And now we have a hygiene test that we run for people. And, uh, you know, the hygiene factors was a really fun thing. I, I use that term every so often, but that actually came from this podcast, I think. Um, and you're right. This podcast was, is like an S tier podcast. You definitely need to listen to this one. If you haven't before, it is really, really valuable. Um, so the three scroll test is that you basically need to 
um, under, you need to understand what the game is and what what's inside it, and you need to you need to see um, like how it's how it's played, and it needs to interest you within those three scrolls. If you don't if you don't latch on to something within those three scrolls, then you're going to I mean it's you're not going to back that game in in all likelihood as you know as a backer. So um, it's it's something that I I find you know the I guess the key takeaway is that you need to really focus your first three swipes or scrolls on purpose and you know or, or, I'm sorry you need to focus them and do everything you do there on purpose I think that um, just putting a picture because it looks cool for me is not enough like you you like what does that, what purpose does that picture serve or that that art piece serve on um, you know, in those three scrolls. And so um, I, you know, kind of carrying forward to today, I remember, you know, when I did the deliverance campaign, I try to figure out what can I put at the very top that's going to summarize. And I did it as quickly as I could. It was one of the last things that I did, in fact. And I just kind of took some art that I already had and I Photoshopped together um, on above the fold. And that was, you know, I just, it just, took me like 15, 20 minutes. And now when we go back to Kickstarter, that very first scroll, I am going to put so much more time, thought and attention into. It is extremely important. I need to, I, uh, and my goal really is to teach people what it is and, uh, you know, deliverance being an expansion at, at, at that, at this time, I need to give people the quick and the very, very quick understanding of like what, what's included in here, what's new and what's exciting. Um, I think that certain campaigns do this really, really well. Sometimes it almost, it almost feels like it writes itself. I, I like right now we're going, or we've got a uh, dice throne X-Men or X-Men dice throne, um, which is a really great campaign. That's, um, you know, ending soon and, or maybe just ended that above the fold really looked like it wrote itself because it says dice throne and it says X-Men and it shows the X-Men and it's, you know, that's why you buy it. But they actually went further and, and showed, you know, what's new and innovative and interesting to existing fans of the game. In addition to just the, the IP. And so a lot of people were really excited um, about that one. It did really well, but I, I think that even them, they put a lot of time into that first scroll as well. It It's like, Graphic, good graphic designs, like deceptively simple, but it just was so clear as to why that particular game was amazing. And I think, um, so that's for me what, like three years later, I'm looking at Kickstarter pages with a single scroll saying, how does it look on mobile? Is it very clear as to what this is? And um, if the answer is no, then it's, uh, it's, it's got to change. And many people listening to this might not know that we do offer a Kickstarter page review service. So if you do want us at the crowdfunding notes to give you a detailed report, we literally break down everything on your page. We, we suggest needs improvement. We look at your pledge levels. We look at your shipping. We look at your offer. We look at your imagery. And then we send you a PDF with, with notes that you can compile and then use to improve your page before you launch. Uh, that is a service that we do offer. So if you are interested in that, make sure to reach out to us at crowdfundingnerds.com. We can get that ball rolling the, the sooner we know the better so that we can make sure that we can get it to you on time and no time is of the essence when you have the kickstarter launch dates looming over the horizons 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so that's, I guess thus concludes our, our wrap up of the, the episode six to 10 and our takeaways for, you know, modern times and what mattered most three years ago, you know? Um, so I guess maybe, you know, we've got a few minutes left in the podcast. I have a, a something I'm working on, which I know will be, you know, familiar and close to a lot of others uh, listening to this. I'm putting deliverance on Amazon and I can't just, I can't just put it on and let it go. I have to put it on perfectly. You know, I, I, you know, I'm looking at, I'm just basically I'm studying Amazon SEO like crazy right now. And we're eventually going to do an episode on this as to like how to upload a product on Amazon in the best possible way. Um, One thing that I've certainly having all the experience in SEO that, that I do, I'm able to kind of cut through garbage and, you know, d- discern what actually makes, what actually matters in, in a little, you know, a little bit, but there are some really meaningful differences, you know? Um, and I, in, in good ways, in ways that Google should, you know, should kind of transition. Um, like keyword density is not, is not nearly as big of a deal. Like you don't need to put board game a hundred times in your listing. Um, you should probably actually just put it once um, or twice, maybe you know, any, any time that it's extremely relevant. And then other times you put board game, maybe switch it to tabletop or whatever, you know, a lot of, a lot of little, little things like that. But um, in particular, the title of your product is, you know, you generate that in a, in a way that I actually was very um, surprised uh, the bullet points, the um, like what's called the back end. you know, you've got keywords, you can tell Amazon, you want to trigger for these keywords and whatnot and other things too. Um, but I'm working on that right now and it's definitely boiling and simmering as a very interesting and information filled podcast episode. Um, but, uh, so that's, that's what I'm kind of working on right now. Um, we're selling on our website and maybe a little, a little update on that is in the last you know week we're, we're, we're approaching about a thousand dollars a day in sales on our website. Um, and cool. we're, I think we're at, um, I don't know, let me, let me look real quick about 800, um, a day average. So if I'm, if I'm looking at the first of November through yesterday, um, we've made thirty-one ninety-nine in in gross sales. So I guess it's uh, it's a little less than a little less than that, about five hundred a day average. So, um, but uh, but yeah. So you know, and it, and it scales up and down. But um, we're just kind of preparing, I guess for rain. I, I think that's one thing that is probably a concept uh, we could probably make an entire podcast about where when you launch your game and you have 2000 units, let's say, um, if your game goes viral and sells out, then that's awesome. But every what I find is that every single positive step that I've taken has been hard earned and anything that has gone, you know, quote unquote viral, it seems like I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that my campaigns go that way. Like for, for the most part, our, our clients campaigns don't go that way. There are things that you can control and step-by-step step, you build that email list and all of that. And then, you know, when you have an email list of two, 3000 people, um, you, you know, fund, $140,000 in a day or whatever. I mean, that's, it looks viral to everyone else, but it's actually 
very methodical and and uh, purposeful. And I think that the same is true when you're post launch and you have your website, you've got your you know some review videos coming out and that kind of thing. You need to prepare, to, you know, with infrastructure. You know, I need to have, for example, little things that I'm working on right now. Um, we just relaunched our website so that it's faster. It was very beautiful and very very slow um, until I want to say like you know a week or two ago, and maybe ten days ago, and that's that's just like a huge um, a huge difference maker. If you're if you want to make lots of sales, your website can't be slow. Um, Probably more and- so in the context of mobile phones and and four G or three G, right? Not not necessarily on computers because you probably wouldn't notice it on a right. on a wi-fi connection right yeah like if you have a, a fiber optic line then you know to your house you know you're in the minority and um so you definitely need to um kind of plan for those slower connections and and whatnot and then another thing i'm working on i'm working on uh, setting up an abandoned shopping cart email which is uh we have wordpress so it didn't come standard um and, but it's little things like that that I forget. It's like, I know, yeah, I know that I need to and I should and whatnot. But um, it's something that I, there's so much to do that it's easy to forget about stuff like that. Um, we become brand registered on Amazon. We're taking kind of control of our Amazon listings and planning that out. And, um, you know, we'll probably share more about that in the future. But it's, 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 it's interesting. I, I'm really looking for ways to kind of improve our infrastructure and make sure that when somebody buys the game on the website, that they actually get the information they need. In fact, one of the big things that we did when, when somebody would purchase a product on our website, a lot of the time, the email that confirmed the purchase would go to their spam folder. And every day I would have people asking me, Hey, um, I, I bought a game, but I, I can't, I can't tell if I, if I ordered it or not, can you check? And, um, you know, the email would either be blocked or sent to spam because of something called SMTP, Secure Mail Transfer Protocol, something that you guys, I'm sure, would, would love to not hear more about. But it basically allows your website to use your email. So emails that come from support at playdeliverance.com were not being received in inboxes. And imagine if I had scaled the company and we sold $50,000 in one day, I would be you know, buried to my neck with people asking where their orders were um, just from that little thing. So I think that's really what I'm working on now is um, preparing for rain. I know that we're going to make sales, more sales when I think we've had like two reviewers or, or so maybe post their videos. A couple of people have posted unboxings, but all the reviews are coming. And I know that when we get that level of exposure, we're going to, we're going to make more sales and um, it's best to be prepared so that we can make the most in sales possible from that, from that exposure. Um, so anyway, that's, 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 that's where I'm at Future content in advance. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening to another episode of crowdfunding nodes. If you would like to find out more information about the services we offer and how we can help you level up your crowdfunding, check out crowdfundingnodes.com and make sure to join our Facebook community, the crowdfunding nodes community. Simply put in the search bar and you'll find it has over a thousand members of people who are in the same position as you hoping to level up their crowdfunding and we jump in there we can even help out with any questions you might have in the meantime thanks for listening and we'll get you in the next one peace
And don't forget to upvote, subscribe, review us, and do all the things. Hit the bell. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.